G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Tim Chester, anyway, in this excellent book, You Can Change, he asks this question, and I want to start with this. When do you sin? When? In what kind of situations do you act in a wrong way or experience negative feelings? What makes you depressed, angry, bitter, irritated or frustrated? When are you prone to temptation? Think of the last time you remember doing it or feeling it. What was going on? What set you off? What wound you up? What made you depressed, angry or frustrated? Is there a pattern? Life is tough, he says. All of us face challenging situations. Yours may be a difficult family, sickness or financial worries. It may be people who wind you up or a dead-end job. It may be singleness or a loveless marriage. Peer pressure may push you towards sin or it may be the stress of having too much to do. We are messed up people living in a messed up world. Brothers and sisters, as we come to Malachi and and the end of chapter 2 and through half of chapter 3, Malachi challenges us to put these three things together. Number one, that life is tough, actually. The circumstances conspire against us sometimes. The things come in on us. Life is tough. You will face difficult circumstances or you are at the moment or people or pressures and they'll be different for each one of us. Life is tough but secondly, the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back and that is a fact um, that He would set before us. And so number three, His return must somehow frame our lives now, even in the most difficult and desperate of those circumstances and challenges and worries that we face. So how? What does that look like? How do we do that? How about we pray together as we come to Malachi? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we've already read, especially there in 2 Peter, we live our lives in a world that knows of Christ and yet does not know Him. Yes, Jesus has come, but so many don't believe it and they're sceptical about His return. But we know He's coming back. Father, would you please impress upon our hearts this morning both the gravity of Christ's return, because it is a big deal, but also the grace that we find in Your character to live ahead of that day. May we learn to hold these things together in such a way that our daily lives now, whether at work or in the home, or among family, friends, colleagues, whomever, that our daily lives now would visibly attest to Christ's return and all that that's going to entail. Instruct, O Lord, and guide us toward that as you you reveal yourself to us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, please rejoin me in Malachi. Um, It's been a few weeks, hasn't it? We had Sam Green last week speaking about the Gospel as it relates to Islam. We had Mikey the week before that talking about what it is to be a Christian. Uh, So, Malachi, I want us to get our heads back in there. Malachi, this late Old Testament prophet, right at the very end of the Old Testament. Malachi speaking God's words to God's people just a few hundred years before the arrival of Jesus, maybe the 400s BC, something around um, there. 
And uh, Malachi is speaking to a people who, uh, how would you describe God's people back then? How have we put it together? A broken people, maybe? But there are people on the mend, though, aren't they? Broken, yes, but on the mend. Uh, So Israel had been broken in exile, do you recall? So back in the 500s, late 500s, sorry, early 500s, 580s, 590s, had been exiled from the land, thanks to Babylon, but also thanks to the judgment of God on them. Uh, But back they came, uh, back to the land, thanks to Persia, but also thanks to the promises and the mercy of God, under the blessing of God again, right? Isn't that what we ought to expect? If they were cursed out there in exile in Babylon, then God surely has brought them back according to His promises. Won't we see blessing again? So there are people who are broken and yet there are people on the mend, now with a land, with a temple, with a city, with a place to call home. They're on the onward and upward. And yet there are still cracks and isn't that what we've seen? Now, we won't rehearse the whole thing, let's not rehash all of Malachi so far. Uh, In in fact, our passage today begins by showing us some of the cracks or one of the cracks in the spiritual life of God's people um, who have returned and have begun rebuilding. Now, my hunch is, verse 17, the very first verse in our passage in Malachi, verse 17, have you got it there in front of you? If we can wrap our heads around chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi, if you can feel it in your heart, the concern that these people had, the situation that they were in, then I think this word from God is going to come alive to us this morning um, and the rest of the passage. So we'll dwell a little bit um, uh, on this one verse. God here, chapter 2, verse 17, God reconstructs this conversation doesn't he, between his people and him. What exactly are they saying? That's what I want us to grasp Um, initially. Chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi, what are they saying? You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? That's a bizarre thing to say, isn't it? That first bit, the first of those two quotes, and that's the one that I really want us to wrap our heads around, it's just that last bit, you're you're saying to yourselves, and this is wearying the Lord, uh, you're saying to yourselves, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and He's pleased with them. Or you're saying, where is the God of justice? All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and He's pleased... Why would anyone make such a ridiculous statement as that? to say that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. That is weird, right? That is an odd thing to say. What is going on here? Is it, uh, who's going to come out and say a thing like that? Is it like truly, profoundly, like evil people? Um, You know, like charlatans or whatever, who are like real crooks, who are trying to lead the people astray? Come, friend, I know that it looks evil. I know that it seems bad, but you do it. Walk down this path with me. God will be pleased, you'll see. Is that what's going on? That just sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Folks, I don't think it is that. It is a weird verse, granted, but I think the last bit gives it away. Take another look there. So, how have we wearied the Lord, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and He is pleased with them, or you're saying, where is the God of justice? Let me just paint you a picture for a moment. Here are people, God's people, 
who are standing at their kitchen sinks and looking out the window. Or they're standing in their backyard and they're looking over the fence at who they see over there. They are are the people of the Lord who are seeing people over the fence or out the kitchen window and those people that they see, they are going well in life. Those people over the fence, those people out the window, they're going really well. In fact, you would have to say that they are winning at life. They are absolutely killing it. They are, you'd have to say they are blessed by God, those people that the people of the Lord are able to look out upon and see. And do you know what? Those people who are winning at life, they're scoundrels, they're mongrels, they're wicked, they are awful people, those people that I can see. Now, do you remember from last time, God's people, for all of their flaws, look at it from their point of view for a moment, they are showing up at the temple, do you remember that in chapter 2 verse 13, you might be able to see it there, chapter 2 verse 13, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Do you see the portrait that's being painted of God's people there? They are turning up to the temple of the Lord and weeping like physical, actual tears because God isn't responding to their prayers. And I presume it's that when they get home, having poured out their hearts, having wept tears before the Lord, they go home and their crops, you know what, their crops still fail. They're still going nowhere. They still have not got enough food. God still hasn't given them a break. They're they're having to look around their dinner table at the half-empty bowls of slop that they've got to put before their kids and they're ashamed. And then, then, they look out the kitchen window, do you see? Then they go into their backyards and they look over the fence and lo and behold, who's going out for dinner tonight? Lo and behold, who has food on the table? Whose kids are well-dressed? Who gets to knock off early on a Friday afternoon? Do you see now? All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. and He's pleased with them. Where is the God of justice? Who on earth would say a thing like that? I think I would say a thing like that. In my heart of hearts at times... I think I've said such things. Where is the justice? This just isn't fair. Those non-Christians, those people, they're not living God's way. Some of them don't even, some of them openly deride God or at least they disregard the God who gave them life, who gives them breath, who has given them all of those good things. They couldn't give a fig about God and yet he turns around and what? He just gives them more. Oh, look, now they're driving an even nicer car than the nicer one that they had than my car anyway. Oh, look, now their kids are doing better than mine. Oh, great. Oh, great, she's got a scholarship. He's got that international travel going on. She's doing a fun run. He's starting a business. They're expecting a baby. Great. Where is the God of justice? They ask. Where? is the God of justice. And the Lord replies, I'm coming. Have a look with me. Uh, We'll read 2 verse 17 again. You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. 
Or where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Just two little details from that verse there. Two little details. Where will the Lord show up? In the temple. Um, And secondly, his messenger, this is a messenger of the covenant. 3 verse 1, who will come. So he'll show up at the temple where, yes, you are wailing that God doesn't answer your prayers, hasn't listened to your tears... But those wailers, if you recall from chapter 2, are making a hypocritical mess of their lives and not to mention the covenant of God behind their scenes. Do you remember the state of their marriages there, chapter 2? You might have to go back and have another look. Or, uh, sorry, and he's going to show up at the temple where, yes, you bring your sacrifices to the Lord and your offerings, but chapter 1, you're only giving him the sick and mangy and nearly dead animals that you were going to put down anyway. And even then, you make out, oh, what a hassle God is. Chapter 1, verse 13, do you remember? You want the God of justice. Where is the God of justice? Where is he? Where is this coming? Oh, he'll come. Suddenly. Here's the real question, chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Don Carson asks the question, What would you like to be doing when Jesus comes again? What would you like to be saying when Jesus comes again? What would you like to be thinking when Jesus comes again? Each of us, he says, each of us can readily think of what we would not like to be doing or saying or thinking when Jesus comes again. Do you see what Malachi is doing here? He's saying, lift your eyes, won't you? Open your ears and listen to yourselves, O people of the Lord back then. Injustice, yep, there may be. That's not fair? Yep, you might be absolutely right. It may not be fair that he has, that she gets, that they always, that we never but look inside your heart for a moment, won't you? Do you really want God drawing near right now where you're at with your heart? If you saw me in my study at 7.30 in the morning, this is um, Tim Chester again, I think from the same book actually. Uh, If you saw me in my study at 7.30 in the morning, reading my Bible and praying, you might think me the most godly of men. There I am, calm, peaceful, trusting, but observe me half an hour later as I attempt to marshal my daughters out of the door for school and you'd see a man who's far from godly. I used to think of myself as that calm, gentle person, the 7.30 me, 
and concluded, I was pretty godly. If I'm provoked to sin, then the problem must be whatever provoked me. But I've come to realise, he says, and I wonder if we can see ourselves in this uh, realisation, but I've come to realise that the real me is the eight o'clock me, the person revealed when the sinful desires of my heart are exposed by trying circumstances and annoying people. The real me, he says, is revealed when I'm too tired to keep up the pretense. And so back in the time of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 5, so I will come near to you for judgment, says the Lord. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and remember last sermon, chapter 2, sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. And there I can't help but think of the plight of the asylum seekers um, in our present world and indeed in Australia. And deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Do you really want, do I really want, do we really want the God of judgment, the God of fire, the God of, what does it say, that's soap. Hang on, wait, that doesn't sound quite so terrifying, what's going on there? Uh, that sounded kind of lame until I came across this. Um, the launderers or fuller's soap was a strong detergent for, quote, bleaching clothes. Okay. So let's try that again. Do you really want the God of judgment, of fire, of bleach, showing up, appearing suddenly in your life, purifying fire, refining soap. Malachi's answer is, yes, at least you should. You absolutely should, O sinner. And not because he won't notice and not because he kind of likes you for the 7.30am, you, you know, the diligent quietly in your study before you need to usher the kids out. No, no, not because he won't notice, not because he likes you for the 7.30am, you, not because it won't be that bad. Here's why, verse 6, have a look with me, Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So, you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Think about that. I, the Lord, do not change, so you are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and haven't kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You see what Malachi is saying there? You are safest where? You are safest, brothers and sisters, in the hands of the fire-wielding, bleach-pouring God. That is where you can rest assured you'll never be destroyed. Here's why, because, verse 2, because when He does appear, what's he, what's he going to be doing with that fire and that bleach? Verse 2, but who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Do you see? Can you see now Malachi's prophecy? He is setting two possible futures before us. And I'd, I'd desperately like you to consider which one is yours at the moment. Two possible futures before us, brothers and sisters. 
And it's time, O listener, that you decide which will be yours. Number one, the Lord's coming spells terrible news for sin. Terrible news for sin, along with every sinner who would change nothing in their life to prepare for that day. It's terrible news for sin. But secondly, future number two, God's Word spells wonderful news for sinners, do you see? For sinners who see that day from afar and so return to the Lord. So the call is today, put your hope, your fear, your trust, your very life in the hands of the Lord, the Lord who is faithful and that's why we're not destroyed, the Lord who wants to refine you. And so I want to ask, can you and have you, will you return to the Lord? How about today? Now, before we conclude... um, I do feel like I need to join some dots here for us and I know that for some of us, um, this is like, you know, it's an aside that you just don't need. It's an aside, in, in, no, more than that, it's, an, it's old news and it's obvious to you. You know the story, you've actually been joining the dots even while I've been speaking. In fact, you could come and give this part of the sermon, you'd you, you know it, I, I appreciate that. But that's, I don't think that's the case for all of us and so I do want to join the dots um, for us. See, I've been talking about Jesus' second coming, haven't I? When Christ returns in judgment uh, at the end, 2 Peter 3, that was our reading from before. But of course, in a very important sense, Malachi's Lord has already come, hasn't he? Malachi's Lord already came to his temple, already purified the people, already burned away sin, Um, already uh, dealt with it in the fire of righteous judgment, didn't he? We call that the cross of Jesus. The Lord has already come. The fire of judgment, metaphorically, fell on him and not on us. Uh, Though he was pure and spotless in himself, the bleach, metaphorically, burned off our impurity in his death. He died for us under the wrath of God to make us holy and clean and blameless forever. Now, I'm not going to um, focus too much on it for today because, in a sense, that's going to be next week, but let's at least see this much together. Jesus was absolutely, even in His first coming, He was the Lord that Malachi was looking forward to. I just want us to kind of tease that out now for a few minutes in terms of how the New Testament describes um, Jesus in Malachi's kind of language. So, we're just going to pick up a few verses from some of the Gospels. Let's start with Mark's Gospel. Um, Turn with me there, if you could. I'll just give you a moment. Mark chapter 1. Uh, We're just going to be there for a couple of verses. Mark chapter 1. So, put this in context. Malachi, 400 and something years before Jesus, says, I'm going to send a messenger and after that, the Lord will come. I'm going to send a messenger and after that, the Lord will come. So, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark's gospel starts like this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, It is written in Isaiah the prophet and actually then he quotes both Malachi and Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, John the Baptist, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here comes a story about Jesus. The story about Jesus, says Mark, 
Well, before that comes Malachi's messenger, and who's the messenger? Well, that's John, John the Baptist. Um, let's come across uh, now to John's Gospel. Oh, there are two Johns, this is a bit confusing, that's all right. Uh, so, John, the Gospel writer, John chapter 1, let's have a look there. John chapter 1, and John quotes that same Isaiah passage, and he says, yep, and it's talking about John the Baptist because he's the messenger, he comes first. Now, this was John's testimony, I'm in chapter 1, verse 19, if you're following along, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John the Baptist replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Again, where does John the Baptist fit in? Well, he's not the big deal promised by Malachi, but he's the one who comes right beforehand and so you can expect the Lord to come. And of course, uh, so follows the story of Jesus. Lastly, Matthew's Gospel, flick with me there, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, oh sorry, chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Now, just notice here actually, this because this gives us a little bit more of Malachi. John uh, the Baptist, he's, he's the preparer again here, preparing the way for the Lord. Um, and, but what's interesting here is John says exactly what you'd expect Malachi's messenger to say when he's confronted with real-life religious Jews, real-life religious Jews who wanted the Lord to come, who were looking forward, oh, where, is, where is the God who is coming? Where is the God of justice? There's fireworks, let's have a look. So, Matthew chapter 3, pick it up from verse 1, uh, we'll move through fairly quickly. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Gives us a bit more background on John, down to verse 7. But, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that's the religious folks of the day, coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Do you hear overtones of Malachi now? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He'll baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Brothers and sisters... Jesus is coming back. Yes, he's come once, he came for salvation, but he's coming back in judgment. We need to live in the light of that reality. We need to face it in terms of who we are before God, even today. We need to see it coming. 
and face it. And I think that means we need to strip away the bravado, the self-puffing up, the comparing ourselves with dirty, rotten so-and-so. The Lord has come once and is coming again. And if you'd like to know how ferociously God deals with sin, then look no further than the cross of Jesus, the judgment of God ahead of time. And today's appeal is simple, it's return. Yes, return even to the God of fire and judgment because He's faithful, because He's coming and it should be said, He is our only hope of being refined and purified and becoming the 7.30am version of me instead of remaining the 8am version of me. But to conclude, can we please turn to 2 Peter? 2 Peter 3, as you turn there, where is this God of justice? They asked in Malachi's day, where is his coming? He'll come suddenly, was the answer, and it's going to be fiery. So return to me and I'll return to you. I reckon that's what Malachi was saying. So what's God waiting for, brothers and sisters? Why has God not sent Jesus back yet? This fiery God, says Peter, he's waiting for people to return. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we have the message that they need to return to the Lord. And I reckon that casts our fiery God in a very different light indeed. I think it puts our lives here and now in a very different light. Read with me. We won't read the whole thing, just from 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. First of all, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. It's talking about the flood in the time of Noah. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping His promise As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Shall we pray together? Our Father God in heaven, you you have peeled back the past as well as the future for us to see into your grand design what's really going on. You desire for men and women and boys and girls from every patch of this earth to actually come home before it's too late. You desire not the perishing of sinners like us, but you desire repentance, you desire returning, you desire restoration. You desire that people would know you, yes, as a God who ferociously desires godliness but as a God who deals with sinners with forgiveness, who deals with sinners with a fire, not of destruction, but of refining. God in heaven, place within us, please, an ardent desire for purity in our own lives that comes not just from a blind fear or or terror, but an adoration of the Lord Jesus who lived perfectly before you, a life that feels indeed that was so far ahead of and beyond us. Lord God, for any of us here who haven't yet returned or for indeed for our loved ones, children, parents, cousins, 
spouses who haven't returned to you or indeed have never known you, please, O God, would you peel back the reality of your coming return to their minds, their awareness, their conscience even, and have mercy. And Father, use us, please, your servants, to patiently seek the salvation of as many as possible ahead of Christ's return. We ask it in his name. Amen.